Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. This is our second week in our series, One for All and All for One, and we're studying, we're doing a study on the last part of 1 Corinthians, chapters 11 through 16. We've been walking through all of 1 Corinthians. It's going to be several months um, through the book of Corinthians. And the idea of this series is understanding that Jesus is the one who, because of his love for us, died on a cross for our sins, for your sins, so that we could have forgiveness of sins. And now as followers of Jesus, we represent the all who serve the one. One for all and all for one. Paul writes in the book of Colossians, he says, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. It's really healthy to think that way when you're working, by the way, that I'm serving the Lord in everything I do. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward. And listen to this last sentence. And that the master, everybody say master. And that the master you are serving is Christ. Is Christ your master? Is he, is he the one that you are serving or is there something else that you're serving in your life? Jesus says, I... There is only, you cannot serve two masters. You can only serve one or the other. You cannot serve both. In, in, the, in the scripture, it talks about God and mammon. You can't serve both. You've got to choose which one are you going to serve. Jesus says he is the master, all for one. In these final chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul reminds us that it's not about us. And understand what I'm going to say. I'm going to clarify this a little bit because I know I want it to be about me. I get it. But it's really about Jesus. If you take Jesus out of the equation, we're in, pro- we're, in, we're in serious difficulty. Do you know what I'm saying? And so sometimes when we say it's not about us, it kind of ruffles our feather because I want it to be about me. But the thought it's not about me doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love you. Nor does it mean that Jesus is not working on your behalf. He died, he died on the cross for your sins because he loves you. And throughout scripture we hear the words, fear not, for I am with you. God cares deeply for you. But God knows, and catch this thought, God knows without his presence leading you, if his presence isn't leading you, you will miss out on the blessings that he has for you. Eternal life in heaven and in his presence. We can only gain that reward through Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are the words of Jesus. There is no other way. Making life about yourself will not transform you. It will not change you. Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. See, Paul understood that truth to such a place where he surrendered his life completely to Christ because he wanted Christ to do a work inside of him that would transform him. And Paul was transformed. He was changed, and so are you, and so are me, as we continue to walk in the ways of Jesus. Life is not about me. Life is about Jesus. We're going to try to say that, because I think I want it to get into our spirit. Life is not about me. Life is about Jesus. The believers in Corinth needed to say that, because they had forgot that life was about Jesus. 
They'd forgotten this simple truth. And we see in this passage of Scripture that we're studying today, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34, that life was no longer about Jesus for the people of Corinth. They had started forgetting about the important things about serving Christ. Look at Paul's words in verse 17. They're interesting words. He says, but in the following instructions, so Paul's, about, Paul's writing this letter. If you know, we've been studying the book of 1 Corinthians. It's a lot of answering questions from a letter that we don't have that Paul wanted to respond to the people of Corinth that, who wrote him this letter. And he's, he's dealing with a lot of issues, a lot of conflict, a lot of struggles. And he says, but in the following instructions, the ones I'm about to give you, I cannot praise you. For it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. What I'm about to tell you is not going to be about praise. I wish I could encourage you. I wish I could lift you up. But man, I'm going to tell you the truth. Because you know what? What I'm hearing is not good. This is what Paul's saying. I'm just paraphrasing for you. So let's briefly highlight what is happening. I'm not going to read those first few verses. I'm just going to uh, give you a synopsis. I encourage you to open up your Bibles, if you have them, to 1 Corinthians 11. And just leave it open there, open there in verse 17. And you can follow along with me as we walk through this passage of Scripture. But the early New Testament church would gather together as a community in sharing the Lord's Supper. And it was supposed to be a gathering to remember the sacrifice that Jesus had made on the cross. And Paul taught them this. We do this, what, on the first Sunday of every month. If you haven't figured that out yet, it's okay. But the first Sunday, almost, almost every first Sunday of every month, we take communion together for one purpose. And that is to remember the sacrifice that Jesus did for you and for me so that we could have forgiveness of sins. The people in Corinth had forgotten that it was all about Jesus. Instead, the Lord's Supper had become all about them. They had become greedy and they had become selfish. It says in the scripture that some were rushing to their food to eat their food so that they wouldn't have to share their food with anybody else. They brought, oh man, we brought some really good food. Look at all this other stuff that's out there. No, no, no. You know what? Let's eat ours really fast first so that we don't have to share it. If you've done that, we forgive you in Jesus' name. It kind of reminds me of the old church potlucks. Anybody been a part of a church potluck? Do you remember those days? My dad was a pastor, so we used to rent the Grange Hall out. Some of you guys don't even know what a Grange Hall is. We used to rent the Grange Hall out. It was kind of a public building that was open for rental. We'd rent it out on Sunday, and everybody would bring all the food together, and we'd have this big potluck. We just had the big church picnic the other day, kind of similar to that. But I remember as a little boy, I'd, walk the people, I'd watch the people walking through those, that, that serving line, and, and no one was serving you. You got to serve yourself. And, man... Some of the plates that came off the end of the line looked like they could feed a small army, man. I mean, they were just piled up. And I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking, man, is there going to be anything left for the rest of us at the end of the line? I'm watching how they were doing that. And here's the thing. If someone brought a really, really good dessert, forget it. You're not going to get a piece of that dessert because someone would be in there. It would happen. And this wasn't all the time. Dad, my dad didn't allow it. He finally spoke to the people and said, hey, this is not right. But, you know, someone would take two plates, not a dinner plate and a, des- and a dessert plate, but two dinner plates. And as they walked through, they'd pile that dinner plate full of desserts. And by the time you got through, there was nothing left as far as for desserts go. It was like, I mean, they were going through it. It was crazy. And you could feel the tension in the room increase. And this was about the time that... Me and a couple of my other friends said, we're out of here. And so we'd go outside and we'd play ball. And 
forget the food thing because we didn't want to feel the tension. It's amazing what kids understand and what adults don't understand sometimes. You'd hear those quiet, quiet comments that would be going, can you believe that? Can you, can you, you see what that blade is? Oh, my gosh. Can you believe how much they're taking? And then someone, oh, you know, inevitably there's someone that is bold enough to just and get offended enough that finally just steps up and says, you know what? Uh, you, know, you know, they would say something. Does anybody own a crane company? Because, uh, you know, we're going to need to borrow one to get Alfred out of the room, you know, at the end of this whole meeting. They would say something hurtful and unkind. And this whole potluck that was designed to bring people together for fellowship really became a place of offense and division and gossip. I share that funny story, and that didn't happen all the time when we had potlucks. I probably exaggerated just a little bit. But this is what's happening in Corinth, except it's around the Lord's Supper. It's around communion. People had forgotten that it wasn't about them, but it was about honoring Jesus. The dinner had become so selfish and disgraceful, it wasn't honoring in any sense of the word. Some people left hungry while others were completely smashed, drunk. The only care was about their, themselves. And that's why the Apostle Paul says in the following instructions, I cannot praise you. I can't do it because all you're thinking about is yourself. I will certainly not praise you for this. Then in verse 23, Paul shares with the church in Corinth the proper way to participate in communion. Paul informs them that his instructions were given to him by the Lord himself. And we don't know that, if it sounds like to me that the Apostle Paul had a revelation by G, from Jesus himself. Because Paul didn't actually walk with Jesus. The other disciples did. But it seems like either Paul had a revelation or the teachings of the other apostles to Paul. He took that as a revelation from Christ that he was sharing to the people there in Corinth. So let's look at... Paul's teaching on taking communion, starting at verses 23 and 24 of chapter 11. It says, On the night when he was betrayed, speaking about Jesus, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. He took some bread, like something similar to this, and he, and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke the bread in pieces. Because he's about ready to share the bread to the other disciples. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul is telling the story of what happened the night before Jesus' crucifixion. How Jesus was sitting with his disciples and he was sharing uh, the word of God, the love of God. He was teaching them, hey, this is my body, and it's going to be broken for you. The breaking of bread is a significant statement. I want you to think about what the disciples would have realized when Jesus broke that bread, when he held that in his hand, he's talking about bread. You know, the disciples had to think about the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, they had just, they had experienced it not that long ago. When all of a sudden there's, there's just, you know, and it's more than 5,000. It says 5,000 men. It could have been 10,000. And Jesus, it says he felt, had compassion on them because he recognized they were hungry. 
They'd heard his teaching. They came out to hear his teaching. And as they were being sent home, he was afraid that they were going to pass out. They were going to faint because they hadn't eaten anything. He sends the disciples out, go find some food. And they find a boy's lunch. And there's five loaves of bread. And Jesus begins to break that bread. And what takes place? A miracle takes place. All of a sudden, it begins to multiply, and Jesus is able to feed every single person with 12 baskets left over at the end. I mean, when Jesus is in that Last Supper in that room, when they're sitting around that table with Jesus, and when Jesus took the bread and he started to bless it, that had to be going through their mind. They had to be thinking about how it symbolizes how God had taken the children of Israel through the desert for 40 years, out of Egypt, he was taken to the promised land. And for those 40 years when they had no hope and no, no way of feeding themselves, God rained down manna from heaven and fed every single person. They had to have that idea, that symbol, that it is God, the, the bread. I take this bread that is broken for you. It represents my body. Where is Jesus going with this? The breaking of bread? Jesus is explaining to his disciples that the bread being broken for them now represents his body. The disciples at the time didn't understand what would soon happen, how the body of Jesus would be broken for them. This is the night before his crucifixion. How from the breaking of Christ's body, redemption would be offered to all people because Jesus is the bread of life. The breaking of bread in Scripture many times represents God's abundant grace. Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of, of the world is my flesh. See, when we look at broken bread... As we take communion, it should take on a whole new meaning for us. It shouldn't just be a piece of bread. It needs to be understood, this is God's broken body for you and for me. The bread that we take during communion is not going to give us eternal life. But the bread is to remind us of the body of Jesus and his sacrifice and his life that makes a way for the miracle of salvation to take place in your life and in my life. How do we eat the body of Christ? Because Jesus says, take, eat of me. How do we eat the body of Christ? By believing in his word and putting our faith in him. It's by reading his word. It's by receiving the power of his spirit. And his spirit is life to us. A miracle happened in the breaking of Christ's body. Salvation was set forth for each and every one of us today. Just like Jesus provided for the physical need by feeding those 5,000 that were sitting out there in the field and he broke that bread and he, and he took care of the physical needs, Jesus provides for our spiritual need, our need for, give, for forgiveness. It's a miracle that is ongoing every single day. Just like manna that was rained down from heaven in the days of Moses that was continually providing for the people. Guess what? God's grace is rained down from heaven each and every day for those who need forgiveness of their sins. Think about that thought, guys. It's, wow. Each and every day. That's why you should never walk in... <laughs> You know, when you walk into church disappointed, discouraged, no, no, no. You walk in with your head high because you have the grace of God upon you. doesn't mean that you shouldn't come and repent. 
If you have wrongs and sins to get your life right with Christ, absolutely. But you got to know that you have someone who loves you, that cares for you, that has the answers for your life. He's there for you. You don't walk alone. He is with you. And it's why that we need to continue to remember this wonderful miracle of forgiveness. Then in verse 25, Paul explains what Jesus did with the cup. He says, in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this is the cup. This cup is the new covenant. Say new covenant with me. New covenant. This cup is a new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Think about what the disciples had to be thinking at that point. When Jesus, first of all, he takes the bread, this is my flesh. Now he says, this is the cup that represents my blood. Where is Jesus going with all this? In scripture, wine is frequently used to symbolize blood. Jesus is doing so here. The disciples were probably struggling with the understanding what Jesus was trying to tell them the night before his crucifixion. But after Jesus' death, after Jesus' blood was spilled on the cross, the correlation would have become real to them. The sobering thought that Jesus was just talking about his death, about his blood being spilled out. I want you to just kind of walk with me in that picture. Can you imagine being invited by Jesus? Hey, come, we're going to have a last supper. We're going to eat together tonight. I want you to come with me. Let's go. And he has everything prepared. And they're all saying, I want you to come. Sit down with me. Let's eat together. Let's partake with one another. And, and as he's doing this, he starts to share, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood spilled. And all of a sudden, next day, the next day, when Jesus is, on a cross being crucified, those words all of a sudden are hitting the disciples. And they started to realize this wasn't just any supper. This was the glory of God being presented to us. The sacrifice once and for all, for all mankind, for all times. What a thought. What an experience. I know the disciples were probably struggling at the time to understand, but after his death, it would have become real. Why did this happen? Why did Jesus die on the cross? The disciples discovered why. Because Jesus was bringing in a new covenant. I made you say that word, new covenant, because he was sharing that with his disciples. The disciples would have understood the old covenant very well, but a new covenant? Jesus is revealing it right there at that time. See, the old covenant was founded and based on the law that was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. And you can read in Leviticus chapter 4, you can, you can open up your scripture there after service at some point. Look, just read through Leviticus 4 and you can see all the different sacrifices that had to take place for the people's sins. And it goes through each sacrifice that was taking place. It was ongoing animal sacrifices. Why? I want you to, this is some really good teaching here if you want to grab a hold of this, if you understand what communion is all about. Why? The purpose was to reveal to people the ongoing sins of humanity. Because they had to continually sacrifice animals, it represented that the sins of humanity was continual. It was ongoing. 
Jesus, during the Last Supper, revealed this new covenant. A covenant not confirmed by the blood of animals, but by the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice. The question is often asked, why would God require animals to be sacrificed in the first place? Why? Why, why would God even go down that whole road? And I shared with you because it was supposed to represent this, understand, help us to understand the sins of mankind, of humanity. But I want you to also understand, it wasn't just any animals that were being sacrificed. If you read through Leviticus chapter 4, you'll find out it was spotless animals without any defect. They were supposed to be perfectly white if they were a sheep. They were, there were no defect on them. The why was because the animals represented no wrong. Did you catch that? The animals represented no wrong. Forgiveness required a sinless sacrifice. You couldn't sacrifice something that was already wrong. Forgiveness required a sinless sacrifice. But animal sacrifice was never a permanent solution. Because they were not made in the image of God. Did you catch that? They were not made in the image of God. Humanity is made in the image of God. The problem with humanity is we're all sinful. So then Jesus came to this earth, said, this is my body, broken for you. This is cup represents my blood being spilled out for you. He came from heaven to earth to become the sacrifice for your sins and for my sins. Because he was a permanent solution. He was the perfect image bearer to be sacrificed. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 4 through 5. It says, For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into this world, he said to God, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. It makes the words that John the Baptist says when he sees Jesus with his other two friends, the disciples, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Those words all of a sudden come to life. John the Baptist understood what was taking place. That the power of the Holy Spirit was upon him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Somehow, John the Baptist had a glimpse of what was going to take place. The sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus ushered in a new covenant through the shedding of his blood. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul states, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our sins, the spotless, perfect lamb of God. And in exchange for taking our sins, guess what? He allowed us to participate into his righteousness. All of a sudden, it's the greatest exchange you could ever have. Our sins are cleansed and forgiven once and for all. And he says, hey, come with me. You can be a part of my righteousness. Come on, somebody. I, it's time to say an amen for someone out there. Paul continues his teaching in verse 26. He says, For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing. Remember the word announcing. You are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. It's an interesting statement that is only found in Paul's teaching. What is Paul stating here? The word translated announcing in the Greek can also be translated proclaiming. And it's a Greek word that is often used to, 
to describe the preaching of the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel, the sharing of the good news. He said, when you take communion, when you take this bread and drink this cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. You're proclaiming the good news. You're proclaiming that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and my sins. It's the gospel message. How through Jesus' death and resurrection, we can find forgiveness for our sins. Paul reveals how communion is an event that includes the past, the present, and the future. The past and remembering the love that was given by Jesus to come from heaven to earth to die on a cross for your sins and my sins. An event that took place 2,000 years ago. The, the, the present in understanding the importance of taking communion. As we are announcing the death that had to be paid for my sins and for your sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes on him should not perish but what? Have everlasting life. It's a wonderful testimony of Jesus continually being given. It's an understanding of understanding that Christ, I shouldn't say continually be given. It's the understanding that Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection once and for all paid the price. It's done. It's completed. It's over. It's why it's so, it's so important that we continue to, the practice of communion together. So in the present, I want you to catch this. So in the present, we never forget what it's all about. It's about Jesus. The future in knowing that Christ's sacrifice has purpose. The purpose is that one day we will reign with Christ for all of eternity. Did you know that? One day, there is going to be a day that we are going to reign with Christ. We're going to rule with Christ for all of eternity. This is the purpose. The next part of this passage is probably the most difficult part of the passage, and I will read it to you. It's verses 27 through 32. It's really my closing thoughts here today. Paul writes, So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some of you have even died. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. Tough passage, difficult passage. But let me share it with you. And explain, because it's not, it's not that difficult to understand. First of all, we just got to remember what's happening in Corinth. Do you remember what I was telling about Corinth? The Lord's Supper had become a party. And it had become a very selfish party. It wasn't about sharing like in the body of Christ. It was about, man, do I have enough food for myself? And some people were getting smashed. And, and it, it wasn't anything that was honoring to Christ. And this is what Paul's talking about. Many weren't really celebrating the Lord's Supper. There's probably some that were trying to, but others absolutely were not. It wasn't about Jesus. It was all about themselves. There was nothing that was glorifying to God. Paul's basically stating that we, we need to do an attitude check. You know, sometimes you just need to check your attitude. Is it stinking? Put some freshener on it, man. Why are we doing what we're doing? Are we participating in communion for the right reason? Is our desire to honor Jesus and proclaim his wonderful love 
for all of humanity, communion has a purpose. It can never be something that is not honoring to God or not honoring to others. If we are like gluttons while others go hungry, we're not honoring the body of Christ. That's what Paul was talking to the, the people of Corinth. Jesus did the opposite. He fed the hungry. He didn't try to, I don't want to share anything with you. Paul states in verse 20 or verse 30 that this is the reason why many were sick and even some had died. Because they were casting God's judgment upon themselves by dishonoring the sacrifice of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, the sacrifice cannot be, his sacrifice cannot be taken carelessly. Paul challenges the church to examine yourself before taking communion. Make sure that your heart is in the right place. Make sure your attitude is right. I know the idea that God would allow sickness or death to come upon people is a difficult thought in the Scripture, and especially in the New Testament. We understand that God of the Old Testament in the sense that they're the same God, by the way, but there was something he was showing about the, through the children of Israel, and there was a lot of uh, blood and death in the Old Testament. But man, in the New Testament, this is hard, Pastor Tom. How's, how's this happening? The first thing I want you to remember, Paul's not saying that God causes all death and disease. He's not saying that here. What Paul is stating is that in this situation, God was judging or disciplining the people for their carelessness towards the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. Think about it as a father. If you sent your son from heaven to earth to die on the cross for your sins, and you're partying and getting drunk, and you're careless, and you don't really, what would that do to the heavenly father? How could that break his heart? But with that said, Paul clarifies in verse 32, God's action of discipline was to save those from, from final condemnation, from final judgment. See, we read it, oh my gosh, God was angry. It's actually an act of mercy, not judgment. It wasn't vengeance, it was mercy. Pastor Tom, what are you saying? How do, how do you get to that idea? The sickness was to help direct the people away from their wrongs. Death was a warning to pay attention to what you're doing, guys. It doesn't even mean that those who died were separated from God. To be honest with you, if you read that scripture, it seems like to me that Paul says it was just a warning to them. That even those that maybe died were still in God's hands. It's, it's kind of a crazy thought, but that's the love and the grace and the mercy of God. It really is. But what would happen otherwise is they could lose the whole purpose of what communion is all about. They could lose the whole purpose that it's Jesus that you're going to find your salvation through. If God didn't do something to bring some correction, there was going to be a problem because it was out of hand. That's why some were getting sick, and that's why some were even dying in the midst of that because God said, no, 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 you guys are so far off. i got to bring some correction here. See, a good parent brings correction to their kids, right? Don't we? You'd be a horrible parent if you never corrected your kids. And we'd have to kick them out of kids' church because you're never getting, you know, they're not being obedient. We had to create a whole new class for Vince. No, I'm just teasing on that one. He's a wonderful kid, by the way. But he loves hard sometimes, okay? So that's just how Vince is. But you'd be a horrible parent if you didn't bring correction. If your kid ran out into the street and you didn't correct him, and discipline the child, in the future, you could possibly be causing his death. Because he needs to realize, hey, running out into the street is not good. 
it could harm you badly. This is what God is doing. He's disciplining his children. He said, you know what? What you're doing right now, when you're making it all about yourself instead of about Jesus, you're losing the purpose, the purpose of salvation. God's discipline is mercy to guide us to salvation. Today we're going to take communion. And uh, we have it set up in front here today, as you can see. So I'm going to ask you to actually, how we're going to do is we're going to ask you at the we're going to get back and we're into worship. And worship team, you're welcome to come up to the front. And as we get back into worship, what I really want you to do is just take the time to reflect on the goodness of God. Take the time, instead of just taking the bread, and, and I know many of you honor the Lord with all your heart. I know that. So this is not to come down. Paul was coming down the, on the church of Corinth. I don't have that feeling of spirit in our church at all. I feel like we honor God the best we can. But there's nothing wrong with checking our spirit again. And remembering that the bread that we take represents the broken body of Jesus. And remember that the cup that we take represents the blood of Jesus that poured down on the cross for my sins. To bring that remembrance to us that I can't do this on my own, that I need the one, the one who died for me on, his, on the cross. Without him, I am nothing. So Lord, I come to you humble before you in gratefulness and thankfulness for the sacrifice that you made for my sins, that I have the freedom to walk with you in a righteous way because of not my righteousness, but because of your righteousness that has been set in me because of what you have done on the cross. Yes, it requires my faith. It requires me believing in Jesus Christ. But you know what? Everything else is done by Jesus. Amen? That's why we take communion. And I encourage you today, as we worship today, just to examine yourselves and ask the Lord, is there anything that I need to get right with you, Lord? What, what do you want me to change in my life? Let me just say today, if you're not a follower of Jesus here today, I encourage you not to participate in taking communion with us today. Um, and there's nothing wrong with not participating. It actually shows your reverence for something that is very sacred. But if you want to take communion today, if you're not a follower of Christ, man, all you have to do is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that he is your Lord and Savior. Just ask the Lord. God, forgive me of my sins. I want that grace upon my life. And you just say that prayer. And we're going to say that prayer here in just a second. Say that prayer. Man, I encourage you to come down and take communion with all of us today as the body of Christ. Let's just take a moment here. I'm not going to ask for hands be said to be raised. But let's each and every one of us say this prayer together today. And let's really mean it. Even if you've been a serving the Lord for 50 years. Let's mean it with all of our heart today here. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Forgive me my sins. Thank you for your sacrifice. Give me the power of your Holy Spirit. Lead me and guide me in every way. Today I choose to serve you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
God good? All the time he's good. I felt really impressed today as we take communion um, for our, some of our deacons, for some of our leadership team to be available to, in the front. I'm going to be here in the front as well. And if you need prayer today, um, maybe you just need someone to believe with you. Maybe you've been struggling with sickness or difficulties or family problems or whatever. Hey, there's no shame in the game. We all have struggles. Amen? We all go through. If you are not going through a struggle, just wait. It's, it's the, Jesus himself said, hey, there's trials and tribulations in this world. But we are the body of Christ. And we gather together to pray for one another. So if you need prayer here today, I'm going to have some of, the peop- some of our leadership down here. We'd invite you to come for prayer before you take communion. Or maybe you today are making a decision to follow Christ for the very first time. And you just want someone to pray with you. Man, we'll be here to pray with you. And just stand with you in faith. And then when you're ready today, we want you to come down. And we want you to just take one of the breads. Someone's going to pass out the bread to you. Because I'm all about sanitation. So there you go. It's just me, okay? A little OCD in certain areas. We're going to pass out the bread. And then we have cups here that represents um, the blood of Jesus. And you can take it down here or you can go back to your seats. And I encourage you, if you have family here, to do it as family or do it as friends. Let's not anybody be alone today. Let's be together with one another as the body of Christ. I mean, the Apostle Paul, just we just got done listening to what the Apostle Paul said. Hey, you know what? It, it's so selfish. You guys are all about yourself. and not, Let's be the body of Christ today. And if you're a guest here today, and you're like, oh, this, this is going to be difficult. Man, we love people. There's two things that we got to do. And we do it, man, out of our heart. We love God and we love people. And so if you have no one to take communion, come and join me. I'll take communion with you today. I'd love for that opportunity. And let's be the body of Christ. Let's come together. Let's remember the sacrifice that Jesus did. Let's honor Jesus' day. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Amen. Will you stand with us today? We're going to sing and we're going to worship the Lord. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come on down to the front. And whenever you're ready, uh, feel free to come down and take communion. If you want prayer, come down. We would love to pray with you today. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.